You're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle with Mela Borowski. Thoughts from a Southern Witch. Should have studied witchcraft. Should have learned to ride a broom. So me and my black cat could fly through the skies underneath the moon. Hey, y'all. I'm Ella Borowski, and you're listening to Bell, Book, and Candle. Our guest today is Sadhu Da. He is a student of the Theravada lineage under Master Pong Sok and Master Thanafal Pak Di. He has years of experience and training with inner door secrets of Thai Buddhist magic. He has had the privilege of studying under Rinpoches and Lamas from the Banpo Tibetan lineage. He's also a Taoist practitioner under Dr. Wilson Young. He has a collective set of skills that he uses to help others go inward and prosper spiritually. He teaches varying forms of magical practices and offers help to those in spiritual crisis or who may be afflicted by the paranormal. And I am so excited to have him here on the show. So welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you for having me. So you have been well-trained and studied under so many people. And I was looking at the amazing photos on your website the other day. It looks like you have had so many experiences and your photographs are just incredible. What's the common thread or is there, I guess I should say, in all the experiences and training that you've been involved in? That's a really good question. I'd say one of the uh, common threads and experiences that I have personally had, and you know, this can vary from tradition to tradition, especially because we know things aren't necessarily neutral or positive or negative, but for me personally the most powerful masters i've ever met and had the privilege to study under and just the most incredible teachings that i've gotten to behold came from being in the presence of pure love and compassion Mm. and you know one of the things i talked about a little bit in one of my blog posts was uh, ascended masters and one of them that i studied under She's a uh, Lama and a Rinpoche of the Tibetan Bampo lineage, the one who actually initiated me into Tibetan Bampo. And the first time that I was in her presence, I, I did not have the need of hunger, um, the need to use the bathroom. Um, everything was just kind of like encompassed in her little reality bubble. And it was pure love. Like wow. it never at that point in my life or since then had I ever been in the presence of somebody that felt like holy beyond even just the word holy like being in her presence was just this love that uh, encompassed your body to when you left her presence you actually went through like a withdrawal oh wow that's incredible and tell us a little bit about what got you involved in this type of spirituality and just being a spiritual person at all was that something that you always been interested even as a child Well, when I was a kid, um, you know, growing up being uh, biracial, belonging to an African and Mexican heritage, my mother was more so Christian, whereas Mm -hmm. on my mom's side of the family, there was a, a mixture of Christians and then people that would practice traditional African um, magics like Voodoo and stuff. And mm. I wasn't really drawn to that so much as my abuela on my father's side of the family. Uh, she's a, a very powerful curandera. And so I was introduced to traditional Mexican magic um, mm. and like lumpia and things like that at a young age. But I wasn't at a point in my life 
where I actually, you know, had value in it uh, or really paid too much attention to it. And it wasn't until I got older and had my own experiences outside of that family setting where I realized what my grandma did for her community and realized why my grandma was held in such high regards because of being a spiritual healer from a Mexican background. And that was when I met Master Thanafol at a temple. I was actually being judged by some of the Thai people because, you know, it's not really appropriate attire, but um, I didn't know anything at that time. And mm -hmm. I went to the temple and I, you know, I have these long, you know, sleeves, colorful tattoos all over my body. Mm. And um, I wasn't wearing anything other than like a tank top and shorts, which isn't you know, oh, okay. appropriate at a temple. And um, people were judging me and were telling the monk, um, well, the monks in general, that there was like a sketchy looking person prowling about the temple. And he kind oh, of no. them, <laughs> and he told them, uh, you know, well, have, have you have you talked to this man yet? And they were like, no, no, he looks scary. And so the, <laughs> so the monk came over and he talked to me. And then the people kind of seen him talking to me for several minutes. And he was just showing me different statues and, and explaining certain concepts of Thai culture and Theravada Buddhism to me, mm -hmm. which was all brand new to me. And these people started to come up because they wanted attention from the monk. And he was like, well, now you want to come up and, and now now you you don't want to be judgeful when you first seen this man, you were telling me that he might be a threat that, you know, you were you were casting judgments on him. I'm busy with this man. He's, he's a perfectly fine young man and there's nothing wrong with him. And so he kind of like shooed them away. And that was when I first met Master Thanapol. Wow. So you have learned so many interesting things. I was looking on your website and one of the things that I thought you were going to talk about that I would love to hear about is spirit talismans. So can you tell us what they are and what someone would use one for? Ah, uh, yes, yes. This is one of my favorite things. So in Theravada uh, traditions, you have what are called Thai Wicca. And so Wicca is like a different magical practice. So it'll be something that somebody learns sadhanas, which are like spiritual practices, to learn how to do this specific thing. Okay. Uh, whether that be making a gay, which is like a cowrie shell that has mercury inside of it, which is for increasing the power of the amulet, or whether it be making uh, sanfrakum, which are like spirit houses and all these different things, they're specific practices. And okay. so the spirit talismans belong to like a category known as like uh, prey, P-R-A-I, and you'll have like prey buka or my prey or uh, namen prey oil and things. And uh, all these are just different types of ingredients and aspects of approaching a magic that pertains to putting a spirit inside of an object or mm. like an oil or powder or something. And okay. what I would usually do if I was making a prey statue is I would gather certain ingredients and that would be like for example you have din jet pong soil and did gen pong soil um consist of seven different soils from different salt licks and the reason why mm. there's a lot of power in that ingredient is because you have to take into account the predators that prey on the animals that are licking the salt lick for the mineral content, the hunters that are there. You know, you have all these energies, all this death energy. So you have all this powerful release of energy, the blood that went into the soil. So you have this powerful soil and you have to do this ceremony 
where you cross over the spirits of the dead animals. And then by mm. crossing over the spirits of the dead animals, they're essentially leaving a blessing or like a residue of energy uh, that has become like purified, become holy. And then you're able to take that soil with the blessing of that local land deity. And then you're able to incorporate that with other ingredients such as holy powders. And like, I, I'll also use like grass that comes from the Wuatanu, which are these um, magical red oxen that are like grand protectors and they're on my altar. And so the, the grass that's offered to them in ritual every week, well, once I change out that grass, that grass is like powerfully ritually empowered. So it's, it's much stronger and it has like that spiritual residue on it. So you stack and you use these ingredients and ultimately what you're doing is you're building a battery. And what that battery is going to be for is for the spirit that you're gonna call and you're gonna put inside of that talisman. And what ends up then happening is you have a spirit that can do profound workings here in the physical without having to have uh, attachment to a person's living body or to draw the energy from another source because they have a reciprocal amount of energy being generated by this battery, this totem, this talisman that you've created. Does this have any relation to a servitor? Because I have a servitor in the form of a dragon and I bound it to a little toy dragon that I covered in 24 karat gold and it is protecting and guarding my land. I offer it whiskey or moonshine. I feed it gold flakes. Is that something like what you're talking about or is that totally different? It is and it isn't. So what what we have here that is a commonality is um, animistic tradition, animistic practices. Mm. And okay. so what you're talking about with a servitor, which I'm sure if you're using like the term servitor or like egregore, as I know that term, that would be pertaining to an entity that was created from energy, kind of similar to like a tulpa. Um, so right. it might not necessarily be a pre-existent living spirit from the spirit realm. Is that my mm -hmm. understanding here? Yes. Okay. So the difference there is you have a um, spirit that has pre-encoded functions, it has specific tasks, and though it might have sentience to a certain level, it can grow as we know servitors can reach a level of what they call godhood, where they kind of become self-actualized and mm -hmm. can live their own life essentially. But what I'm working with is um, spirits that enter a spiritual contract with me. And what I mean by a spiritual contract is we share what is called merit. So if I do good deeds and I help people and I make donations and ease the suffering of animals and freeing them and, and things of that nature and help other spirits cross over, these good deeds equate to good karma, which can play into my next reincarnation or my uh, life path and uh, benefit and luck and stuff as it is in this lifetime. Well, some of these spirits that get trapped in the spirit world, they have a hesitation to reincarnate or they have the inability to. And so what we're doing is we're preparing their next reincarnation to be much higher than what it naturally would have been. So it's, a, it's like a huge benefit for them. And that's why they're not bound to this uh, statue. In a sense, they are because you're, you're merging them with it, but it's not like they're binded and they can't leave it because you can have them given a task and then they can leave that statue, take the energy they need and go to another place on the planet and assist in the healing and things of that nature. But um, you're sharing the merit with them and you're sharing your metta, your loving kindness. And these things 
act as like a form of offering on top of you know kind of like giving them whiskey and things like that so mm. we we share our good deeds with them and i would say that'd be one of the uh, key differences here as well as it being a spirit from the spirit world already existent mm -hmm. okay that makes perfect sense and the spirit in the spirit talisman you mentioned that you can send it to do healing what other types of things are you having the spirit help you with so in general when we're working with spirits of you know a lower order which is what they are if they're human spirits or even if they're you know not from the higher heavenly dimensions because even like asura and yaksa which come from the lower heaven dimension they're beings that still suffer they still have karma they're uh, you know part of the rebirth cycle as well so when we're working with these types of spirit we have this aspect of desire so they'll help with like you know gambling and luck with that or mm. love and relationships business dealings charm and appeal things of that nature but they can also be used to assist in healing work and when i do certain empowering other ritual talismans and amulets and things of that nature they can kind of assist in that i basically liken them to helpers so whatever it is that I'm doing or trying to do for myself or a client, they're just helping me with that. Is this dangerous work? Is this just not something that the random magic practitioner should even be trying to do? Uh, definitely, because uh, a lot of things can go wrong. Um, mm. That's why we have um, specific chants in Pali, um, an ancient language, um, and these mantras and katas that we use to kind of like tame and call specific spirits and lull the energies. For example, when we go into a graveyard and we call some of these spirits, some of them might be perpetually trapped in their death states. Some of them might already be transitioning into wraithhood, so like mm. a corrupted human spirit. And so you, you actually have to kind of like heal it and you have to lull it into like a state of submissiveness which isn't cruel. I mean, think of it as like if you met like a wild animal and, you know, you left it food and then over time developed a relationship to it to the point where you could pet it, you could walk with it and it would accompany you places. Like it's kind of the same thing here. You have to kind of like tame them a little bit, heal okay. them, you know, help them before you can bring them, you know, into your home, into an object, let alone even mm. give to a client to work with who may not be magically adept. So yeah, there, there is an element of danger if you don't know what you're doing. I mean, yeah. you could create a, a haunting of your own or you could experience possession or spiritual attack. I think a lot of times, especially new witches and magical practitioners, they just, they see things on television, they see things on movies and they just think it's all fun and games and they don't understand that there is a dangerous side to things. You have to think about consequences and, and if you are at the capability to do certain things. Oh, exactly. I mean, and especially with my students, one of the things that I start with is teaching grounding, protection, warding, mm. and all that kind of stuff, and yeah. you know how to cultivate and raise their chi well before I even start introducing them to intense ritual work, let alone working with spirits and summoning yeah. spirits that tends to be saved for advanced teaching. And do they get pissed off if you aren't going right into like the juicy bits? Because that's what I found. It's like they come into my classes, which are very basic paganism, witch classes, 
and they want to know all this really high level stuff. And I'm saying, okay, let's talk about protection first. Let's talk about <laughs> grounding. Let's talk about, hey, do you have an altar? Do you have a relationship with your land? And it's like, no, give me the spells. Give me the spells. Do you find that with yours as well? Yes, unfortunately, I, you know, <laughs> I get people that come to me and, you know, they're like, I want to know how to summon a dragon spirit. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you don't even understand what you're actually saying. Like you, you have no comprehension of, of that statement. You know? mm. So I, I kind of let that be like a, a part of my weeding out process. Because yeah. if I have someone that's coming to me like that, then that tells me when I actually start teaching them things that's going to have actual substance to it in, you know, causing like big change. I know they're going to be one of my uh, unruly students. I know that they're going to cause mm. trouble and I'm going to have to reel yeah. them in or I'm going to have to do damage control. So I rather just avoid working with students like that, regardless of if there's monetary compensation or not. I'm more about yeah. responsibly teaching people magic so that they can go out there, help others in the world and help themselves on their own spiritual journey. Yeah, me too. And I, I have a three level course that I teach and I find that by the time I may have 150 in my online course for level one, but I may have 15 by the time I get to level three and it kind of weeds people out. Yeah. <laughs> so with this spirit, you make these spirit talismans for clients, correct? Yes, I do. And so how do you take care of this spirit once it is given to a client to be used? How do they take care of it? Does it differ? I, I give them instructions as they should have instructions when receiving mm -hmm. something like that. And it includes like different chants and kata okay. for like calling the spirit and asking the spirit to do specific things. And then I teach them the ritual for actually inviting the spirit into the home because a lot of people might not realize that like that's actually like the first step is you actually have to properly invite the spirit into your home. Right. It has to kind of pass the vibe check um, of like the local land deity, other spirits that might be around. And you have to properly invite the spirit into the home. Then, you know, we got to talk about the offerings that you're going to give the spirit. And normally it's kind of different when I'm making certain type of spirits. So for example, if I'm making a hun peon, a hun peon is more of like what you talked about being like a servitor. You know, it's basically a robot. What, what hun peon translates as is a robot guardian. So that's, mm. that's what a, a Hun Peon is. But if I'm making something like a prey statue, like this is a human ghost. So I'm going mm. to be communicating and getting to know that spirit well before I put it into the statue. So I'm gonna tell you, hey, like this was an old man who liked rice cakes, you know, so give him ah, a rice cake yeah. before dinner. And usually I'll instruct them on certain things. Like if it's a human spirit, Tuesdays and Saturdays are the days of the dead. So that is when we will receive more power in our offerings, as well as more power in our workings. If we work with or dedicate things to them on Tuesdays and Saturdays. And so I teach them little things wow. like this before they get the statue. And like when I mail it off to them, there's like a list of stuff that I'll give them. And I let people know, like, this isn't just some cool thing that you bought online and like yeah. you're kind of into the occult. You're literally taking on the responsibility, like adopting a pet. So 
you know, if you forget to feed yes. your animal or you don't take it to the vet when it's sick, instead of, you know, this thing dying, like, you know, adopting a pet would, this thing might literally attack you, induce psychosis, bring bad luck and misfortune to you. And they don't say this to scare people, but it's like you're wanting this being to be in your life and you're taking responsibility of it and working with it. You yeah. can have an incredibly beautiful relationship and it will be very protective of you. But if you neglect it and you don't care for it, I'm not responsible for that because I have explained to you the responsibility right. of taking this on in the first place. Yeah, exactly. That's so true. And that's true even with my own guardian. I was taught how to make it and I went through the steps that I needed to do. And I was told in no uncertain terms, this is not something to be created just to forget about. If you're going to do this, it is now a part of your life. And I have everything that I need right on my altar. And it's something I talk to it every single day. It's not just a toy or a fun thing to do you know with friends and then you forget about it there's consequences and there's a contract and when you break a contract whether it's with a spirit or whether it's with humans there are consequences even if you don't know the fine lines mm -hmm. so here where i live I, I live in south carolina and we have gullah geechee culture and they have something that is very popular. In fact, I have one of them myself called Bottle Trees. Have you ever heard of those? I am not familiar with that, but it kind of sounds like these gnome wooden statues I've heard of. Okay. So these Bottle Trees, they used to be made out of just when a tree would fall apart, the sticks that were sticking out, the um, Gullah people, which are the descendants of the slaves that were once here, uh, they would put blue bottles on them. And now they make metal ones and you put your blue bottles on it. And they're said to trap spirits that come to attack you. They're for protection. They said they will capture negative entities and that sort of thing. And I was just wondering, because I'm so interested in various cultures and I'm very firmly entrenched in Southern culture, Appalachian culture. And so I'm wondering, is there anything that people use for protection that traps unwanted spirits that you know of yeah the first thing that came to mind and if you could have seen my face i was just kind of lit up with a smile over here um, <laughs> you're, you're talking about san prakum uh san oh. prakum um essentially translates as spirit house and they're all over thailand i mean outside of well you got to take into account the entire country is theravada buddhist so mm. you know they're they're outside of like schools and hospitals and just like all over the place you'll see these they look like little doll houses on sticks like outside mm. and what they're for is they hold offerings and things of that nature and they have like poly spell work on the side of it and they're made by monks or jarns which are like spiritual teachers occult professors like me and then what it does is it has this offering to appease the local spirits of the land that are lost and wandering souls and helps them to kind of cross over, gives them shelter and refuge. And there's usually kind of like a deity that will reside over each Sanfrakum that will give passage to the next world mm. for the spirits that want that. And maybe they no longer have a way or they don't see how to cross over and now they're ready. So what's really interesting is it doesn't necessarily trap them 
per se mm -hmm. so much as it's like refuge safety you know support like a refuel station oh okay yeah it's it's a it's a very interesting thing because you know these spirits can come here for a multitude of reasons and they're all over the place and uh i have like a san prakum that i put outside of my house which is just for helping you know the local land spirits around here that i don't want to invite to my house or deal with or take down my wards and talk to and etc so like that just kind of it does its own thing outside and helps them that's so interesting how it's very similar to the cultural thing we have here whereas ours trap them throughout the night and then they are released in the morning and so they don't create havoc throughout the night in our homes and around our land um, whereas yours are almost like a place to let them thrive to give them what they need and that's really interesting you know i'm all about learning about other cultures but i'm also very careful about appropriation and that sort of thing is there a suggestion that you have that we could do something if we are not part of the tradition you're part of but that we could do something on our land in front of our homes to give that kind of a difference from the bottle tree all the way to something that's actually helping them what could we do to provide that that wouldn't be appropriation for us that's a really good question um i wouldn't necessarily call it appropriation i would say it's it's more along the lines of knowing what it takes to learn some of these thai witcha that they're they're mm -hmm. very established practices like it's an actual science and it's taught and for a reason you know these are mostly mm -hmm. oral traditions they're not written down they're passed from one lineage master to the next and down the line through the students and so um I would say something similar because you'd need to know the Thai witch of how to make a San Prakum, which is a little more complex than just making a yeah. little dollhouse, drawing some symbols on it and saying, you know, hey, come on, spirits, here's some offerings. What I would say, if I was going to give a variation of it that would be appropriate for most people to approach without an adept type of background, is I would say having a dedicated spot kind of like a like a bird bath or something mm -hmm. you know this this little place out in the backyard and if you were to put different types of spirits like alcohols um, and some candies and stuff out there and if you were to write a note so write it in your chosen language and on this note I would write I leave this as an offering to any spirits that want to come and receive this and enjoy this offering. And I ask that you leave protection for my home or that you pass over my home and choose to do no harm. And so that way you're pretty much giving this out there, you know, to the world freely. And some spirits are gonna, you know, choose to stay and be protective of your home space or, or the outside area. And other spirits are just going to kind of take what they want and leave like trick-or-treaters you know and then some of them are probably going to look at it and just be like all right well you know they were kind of kind enough like and you know and so they'll be dismissive but i would say you'd be hard pressed to find a spirit that was going to attack you just based on that if anything less likely because if a spirit was going to attack you to begin with it wouldn't matter if you were going to give it offering or not right, right. so that's something I'd say that you could do that wouldn't take adept magical experience and training, just a, a genuine heartfelt note, as I described, 
leaving you know these things out there maybe on the table or even in like a bird bath that's empty doesn't have water in it mm-hmm. and just kind of putting it out there and changing that offering out you know once a week and you know just kind of letting that be something you're giving to your environment because we are in a huge ecosystem that we oftentimes separating ourselves from and not realizing or acknowledging that the spirit world and our world are literally stitched together they are not separate That sounds like something that I could definitely add to my outdoor altar because I have an altar for the land spirits where a lot of times I'll leave milk or water. I have crystals out there and I will take cakes out there. So this sounds like (laughs) a place that something that I could add that note and already is set up as a, a sacred space outside. Yeah, they uh, they love their sweets. That yeah. is something I have come to find. Whether it's human spirit, inhuman, you know, nature spirits, etc. I have found that kind of universally, if in doubt and you don't know what type of offering a spirit's going to like, you can't go wrong with treats. They love treats. <laughs> yeah, the the nature spirits around here. Yeah, they love the the different cakes and things like that that I put out there. Well, this is really great information. Yes. I mean, you're talking my uh, <laughs> my language here. Like, uh, you know, when, when I had first kind of started learning and practicing these traditions, one of the things that I would gravitate to in each tradition that I've been welcomed into was the concept of working with spirits. Mm. That was something that just spoke to me more than like, you know, candle magic yeah. or because I, I was in a Wicca coven in Texas for a, a while. Well, I'm, I'm still part of it. I just haven't really been back there in a while. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I mean, I was always drawn to learning how to communicate, work with, and use spirit. And what's most fascinating part to me is with the Thai Theravada traditions. I mean, there's just, there are so many different types of witcha that specifically pertain to working with spirits. And some of it falls more into like Thai Barang, which is like Thai voodoo. And that's an interesting concept too, being that black magic is not so positive, negative in Thai culture. It's more intention-based because mm-hmm. anything that is about desire or working with ghost is considered black magic, but that doesn't make it evil in the sense of hurting people or doing things against someone's free will, which is interesting when you compare it to Western culture and the view of black magic as we term it. Right. Paranormal activity is something that people seem to be really interested in, especially right now when the veil is thin. I believe that the veil or that space that spirits go back and forth is thin as people call it in spring and autumn, but there's lots of liminal spaces. But some people do notice that the activity gets even worse at certain parts of the year. So are there ways that you can help us to protect ourselves or to reduce unwanted or negative paranormal experiences around us? Yes, actually, there's quite a few things that I teach people. And one of the things that I'd say is really effective in like a home space is if you get bowls of vinegar and sea salt, so basically a 50-50 solution, vinegar and sea salt, the combination of that, 
when these bowls empty out, they like crystallize. And if they're emptying out within hours or even a couple days, then you definitely have like either stagnant energies or intense negative energies, or you have spirits trying to manifest. And what this does to the spirits is it short circuits the electrical component of their manifestation process. And when I have clients that come to me that have spirit phenomena happening in their homes, before I show up or before I do anything, this is usually one of the first things I tell them to do on their end before I get deeply involved. And that's something that people can do indefinitely, even if they don't have spirit activity happening, or if they just want to start introducing methods of protection into their home, it will deter spirits uh, in most cases from even wanting to come into your house because you're creating an atmosphere that makes it hard for them to manifest in. How common are exorcisms in your work? I'd say they're rare. Mm -hmm. They're pretty rare, but they're more common than people think. I was going to say that, yeah, (laughs) because I think that people hear the word exorcism and they think of these attachments or possessions like they see on television. But I think attachments are way more common than people think. Well, and, and also you have to take into consideration the comparison between like trans possession or overshadowing versus true possession. And those are two very separate things, but you can get a lot of the same phenomena that occurs in a true possession in a trans possession or overshadowing, which is like stage two phenomena versus stage three phenomena, which would be true possession and stage one being like infestation and like manifestation. I've helped some clients who had some attachments that were very subtle and I feel like this negative energy or in some cases they were spirits were really thriving on depression and it was almost like a vicious cycle because not only were they thriving on the depression and addiction and things like that I almost feel like it was then creating even more so where on your scale is something like that is that like a level one that would kind of be like lower level two Okay. And you got to take into account like, okay, so level zero is like nothing's going on whatsoever. Level mm. one is when you have infestations. So that's activities is present, right? There is okay. notable paranormal phenomena that has been observed. It might not be destructive or harmful, but there are some questionable things that we can't quite explain happening. Stage two is going to contain pin pokes, psychosis, things of that nature. You're going to have a spirit attack, and this could be like hagging, like sleep paralysis, things of that nature. Uh, this is where you get like the spirit feedings that occur, and then people experience like bouts of extreme fatigue or delusion after, things of that nature. And then going into late stage two is when you kind of get like spirit takeover. It's brief, but you get spirit takeover, and it, it gets a little darker from there. Level three is when you have basically advanced levels of ghost sickness, which what you're describing and what you were asking about is what I would kind of call ghost sickness. Okay. And in the level three of it is when you start to experience like a true possession. And Mm. that's kind of when I'm like, all right, I need to get involved immediately because this is literal life or death. If you don't mind sharing, what's one of the most memorable paranormal experiences you've ever had? Oh man, there's been so many of them (laughs) and I've had some that I've just blathered on about so many times publicly. 
but mm. I'd, I'd say one of them was this experience I had with a client who had a haunted recording studio. And he was actually a student of mine for a couple years after that, because just the whole experience changed his life. There was like a black metal band that was just kind of practicing all kinds of really silly things that they had no comprehension of and doing all this ritual stuff in one of the rooms in this building, because it was like a couple different units that were rented out. And they were mostly like studios for different like music groups and things of that nature. And my client had a recording studio on the opposite wall of where this black metal band had used to practice. And after they had left and stopped renting in that room, they were not able to rent that room out for like over a year. Mm -hmm. And every time somebody would rent it, catastrophe and things would strike and accidents and all kinds of really scary experiences, seeing people's faces in the mirror and et cetera manifestations, yada, yada, yada. Well, this started to affect my client and he would hear voices. And, and I witnessed this as well when I was doing investigation on his studio where we would hear voices, audible voices like me and you talking right now in wow. thin air, like yeah. right in front of you. And there's nobody there. But as we know, you know, there really is somebody there, but you can't see him with your physical sight. And you would get the cold spots and you would get touched and things would move and knock over. And people that would sleep on his couch in the recording room would often describe being held down and suffocated. And a lot of the activities started to spike up. Well, by the time I started doing my cleansing processes, there was a really interesting thing that happened to me that wasn't honestly the worst thing that had happened at that point in my development and experiences but it was it was a little more memorable and i was doing chanting and clearing out the space and i got picked up and this was witnessed by several people you could see the prints like somebody was grabbing my ribs mm -hmm. and you could see hand indentations on my shirt and around my body and i was lifted up physically lifted up, levitated into the air, good wow. like five or six feet. And then I was hurled and slammed into the wall and I actually broke a couple ribs. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was like down on the ground and I'm like screaming at everybody. I'm like, get out of here, get out of mm. here, you know? And then what I would have done different was I would have not necessarily like played it cool and downplayed the phenomena because it was obviously very intense phenomena, but I wouldn't have given it the attention that I gave it and distracting myself, which is ultimately what the entity wanted. So if it would have killed me, it would have killed me instead of just lifting my body and throwing mm -hmm. me into a wall, which although it hurt and was painful and was a scary experience, the amount of energy it took to do that would have been the same amount of energy to literally kill me. So obviously it was trying to stop me from what I was doing. And by me yelling at the other people to get out of the room and entering my own fear state, I pretty much gave it exactly what it wanted, which was that distraction. So I did end up continuing the chance. And then I did a couple more sessions on that place. And it has been paranormal free since then. We closed some portals. We uh, cleansed the land very well and thoroughly. And actually, what was really interesting was we got to know the building owner who had known about the phenomena. And they let us into that other studio room. 
and behind some of the uh, wallpaper, we had actually found bloody sigils on the wow. wall. And so then I was able to cleanse and break those sigils as well. Wow. What an experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had scratches. I've never been thrown, but I've been in a situation where I ended up with scratches. That's intense too. Yes. And they did not heal for about a week. And I've gone up in an attic and heard murmuring that was very unsettling. And I've had doors open as the spirit passed and just a lot of different things. But wow, that must have really terrified the people that were with you to see that. Not just you, but to be a witness to something like that. If you're not a believer, then you're going to be a believer after that, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I even have this Google Drive that has tons of documented cases and things on there and, and a lot of paranormal proof, yeah. you know, but they're just my case files, really. And I have hours of footage of this entity that would possess the phone lines mm. and, you know, just what we'd call a demonic entity. And I mean, I've had people, mainly students, I don't show this just the general public, but like I've had people that are like, there's no way that's real. And I'm like, yeah, you're actually listening to a literal demon talking wow. right now. And it's making conversation and it's speaking and it growls. And, you know, I've, I've got some just insane stuff. I even have exorcisms on my Google Drive, some videos where you can see, like, I have this woman's face that, like, contorts and changes mm -hmm. shapes on camera. And then you can see, like, a black shadow come out of her mouth when I'm, like, chanting and holding my hands oh over my her. Oh, my goodness. All kinds of crazy stuff, but... Yeah, there's way more out there than people think. And some people are, they're completely content to stay unaware. <laughs> and you know what? That's fine. But, you yeah. know, I would never invite somebody to just dabble in this stuff. I, I usually exactly. tell people... If you're going to get into the paranormal and the occult, understand that like you cannot close that door. Once you choose to open that door, your life will never be the same. And, exactly. and you need to actually like take that serious. And that's, that's not a debt threat or an ominous warning or anything yeah. of that nature. It's just telling you like once you open yourself up to that side of life, you can't go back. It will never be the same. Yeah. I, in fact, told my mother that recently she was talking about how she wished she could see things. She wished she could see the things that I see and hear the things that I hear. And I say, Mama, if you want to do that, you can ask for that. But you have to be totally clear that you want that experience, because once you open yourself to that, you can't just say, oh, I'm not in the mood tonight. Right. It's, it's there. And you can protect yourself and all that, but you actually have to put the energy into doing that. Once you say you're going to hear and see and experience and all that, you have to set boundaries because spirits and all that, they don't they don't care if you're not in the mood and you're in the middle of your television show. <laughs> right. Or, you know, the, the weekend warriors that think that, um, you know, when they're done investigating, you know, doing a paranormal investigation or, you know, when they when they've shut the grimoire, like... They think that, you know, they just return back to whatever mm -hmm. it was they're doing. And it's like, well, no, this stuff is still active, still happening, yeah. still around you. Like you're still involved. That's right. That is so totally true. And I don't care what spiritual path you're on. That is just absolutely true. And something you have to think about is when you open the door, 
it doesn't turn off. It's there all the time. It's a commitment. Absolutely. So on your website, you help people with a lot of different things. I saw that you also help people with magic and rituals, including what you call BFM, Big Fucking Magic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about some of the other things that you do, because I know you offer a lot of services. So in case any of our listeners are really interested and they want to go to your website, just give us a little taste of some of the things you do offer. So some of the things that I offer are teaching people how to actually perform magic and like learning old practices of like the Thai animistic traditions, um, you know, Thai witcha. Like I teach them how to make like Hun Peon, how to work some of these like heavenly spirits, how to like make prey statues, things of that nature. Like teach them all the levels of it, you know, the the protection, the grounding, the cultivation of chi. I teach qigong as well. Um, mm. Tian Chen, uh, sacred mountain heart style uh, qigong which was taught to me by a Lama. You know, I teach them spiritual wellness, and then I teach them how to do things magically. I also offer ritual for hire. So, you know, whether that be protection, cleansing, removal of spirit, blessings with business, calling a lover, whatever it is, regardless of how weird it is, I'm willing to help you with it as long as it doesn't involve me cursing somebody or violating someone's free will because I, you know, everyone has their price, but, uh, you know, not yeah. in some areas and that's where I can't be bought. So, um, I don't offer that if anyone is seeking for that, I'm not going to kill someone, uh, w- with magic for you. <laughs> and I, I do remove black magic and curses as well. I also do hypnotherapy and trauma healing and soul retrieval and they do like pranic sessions with mantra saturation where i saturate people with mantra over a period of time and uh, allow them to feel those energies and let it penetrate into their aura and just kind of soak up into their being with those blessed chants there's a blog that i update i hadn't updated in like a month so i just like re-updated it but i've been doing a lot of stuff recently so i have the blog that i update which has a lot of free resources i teach a lot of stuff on there that's for anybody to access and there's no paywall behind that and there never will be i have youtube videos of rituals that i perform where i also teach and explain some things as well and then i have like a list with all the podcasts that i've been on which this one will be tied to my website as well so you know, other people can come and find that and hear about your show and come and um, participate. And yeah, it's just, uh, it's kind of like my home base, like anything mm. you want from Sadhu Da, um, or you want to get a hold of me, my website is the place to go. And what's that website? That is www.thesadhuda.com. And that's T-H-E-S-A-D-H-U-D-A-H.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, I always kind of like to give a little bit of an uplift and a little bit of a cautionary you know, measure when, when I end talks. And that is, if you're striving to go through life unscathed, you know, sad truth is none of us are ever going to experience that. We are all going to accrue scars. We are all going to receive damage and none of us make it out alive. That being said, we do have the ability to grow leaps and bounds here in physical bodies on the physical realm more 
at accelerated pace and rate than we can in the spiritual world. And as such, we should take advantage of that. We should strive to learn every day. We should develop our spiritual practices and we should try to work on ourselves and not downplay any progress that we've made up to this point in life. So I always kind of like to try to just remind people of that and let people know as well that while this is all very fascinating stuff to learn about, if you're going to get involved, if you're going to take whatever spiritual path you're going to take, I highly suggest you seek out a teacher, whether it be me or you or somebody else, make sure they're a solid teacher and work with them rather than try to figure all this out on your own and learn some really hard lessons. So that that would basically be my end uh, sentiment for you. Beautiful. Thank you. Saruda, it has been awesome having you here. I could talk about all these types of things for much longer. So perhaps you'll come back another time and we can continue to talk about some of these topics. I would love that. <laughs> oh, awesome. And as always, I would love to hear what our listeners think about this episode's topics. So if you go to our podcast website, you can comment on this episode. You can even click that little microphone, send me a voice message, and I might just use it on a future episode. Take care and y'all be blessed. Thank you all for listening to Bell Book and Candle. You can follow Mella on Instagram and Facebook at Bell Book Candle SC. That's Bell, B-E-L-L-E. Or become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Bell Book Candle.